My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to those in the overflow. Welcome to you at the Franklin campus. We love you, Pastor Eric. We uh, welcome you today. We love you as well. Thank you for working alongside us in ministry. Uh, Let's jump right in. We're in the, the second message in a series entitled Little Books. The word Bible itself means little books. The Bible itself is a library, you might say, a collection of very, very small books, some smaller than others. And the one we're looking at today, the book of Philemon, is very, very small. How many of you think in your life you probably read both chapters of the book of Philemon? See your hands? Yeah, you lie. There's only one chapter. I keep getting y'all on that every single week. (laughs) I'm sorry. Only 25 verses. There's only one chapter, really. But you knew that you'd probably read all 25 verses. I understand that. Uh, Philemon, uh, turn back in the New Testament there. You might start at Revelation and just start flipping back. It really is only uh, not even filling a page uh, of your Bible. It's the last uh, of the letters of Paul that you find in the New Testament. Uh, the letters of Paul are arranged, you know, from Romans all the way through Philemon. They're actually arranged in order of length. So we know that Romans is his longest letter. Philemon is his shortest letter, and that's the way they're arranged in the New Testament. So you will find it there. Let's take a look at it. A couple of background things for you as we jump into this very important word of Scripture. First off, a word about the man Philemon. Philemon is the man's name. Philemon is obviously a Christian, obviously a businessman. He's a married man. His wife's name is Aphia. He has a son named Archippus. And they have a church that meets in their house. We know this. We also know from what we can read here that that Philemon does have at least one slave, a a, a man named Onesimus. And Onesimus does run away, and and that's how the story turns. We don't really know what happened. We only know that Onesimus was a man who was a slave who belonged to Philemon. That in itself sort of disturbs us because we have a certain history of slavery in the United States that, of course, uh, we have very strong feelings about, strong negative feelings about the moral issue. And it's hard for us to think about slavery without transporting all that we know and all that we've experienced in our history back into the New Testament. But, But honestly, in the Roman Empire, slavery was a very different kind of institution. It was still slavery, and it's still immoral. I will grant you that. Uh, We are talking about um, forced labor. We are talking about ownership, human ownership of another human being. You can't justify that. But but in Paul's day, in the Roman Empire, slavery was a little bit different. For one thing, you need to understand that at, at certain times, nearly a third of the population of the Roman Empire was a slave. We're talking about a third of the population, a tremendous number of people. And they were not selected because of race or religion or anything like that. Nearly anybody could wind up being a slave. Also remember that a lot of people sold themselves into slavery. They would choose slavery, sometimes as a way of escaping or or paying their bills. Sometimes it was a way of actually climbing socially. There were certain jobs in the Roman Empire that were only held by slaves. So if you wanted to be a teacher or a medical doctor or or perhaps a manager of a large household, you would sell yourself into slavery as a way of getting that job. So again, it's a very complicated, very, very complex social institution in the Roman Empire. That means that some slaves did quite well. Some slaves were better educated than their masters. Some slaves lived very, very high and wonderful lives. It all depended on who owned you. 
It all depended upon the character of your owner. Onesimus had a good owner. His name was Philemon. And from everything we see, Philemon was not one to mistreat his bondservants, his slaves. And yet we find out that Onesimus, whose name means useful, it's a slave's name, useful. His name means useful. Uh, Onesimus somehow stole from his master Philemon and ran away. He stole first and then ran away. Now, if Onesimus was close enough to anything valuable of Philemon, that means that Onesimus was probably trusted in the household, probably trusted, and he betrayed that trust, stole, ran away. He runs away to the large city of Rome. He's probably thinking he'll escape and disappear into the crowd there, but instead, somehow, Onesimus' path crosses with the path of the apostle Paul, who we know is in jail. Paul is under arrest in Rome. Somehow, their paths cross. And Paul leads Onesimus to become a Christian. Onesimus becomes a Christian. Paul's a wonderful man. He shares the gospel. He leads Onesimus to become a follower of Christ. And as a part of following Christ, then Onesimus needs to go back and make right some of the wrongs of his life. And that involves going back and making things right with Philemon. So Paul sends Onesimus back home to Philemon. He sends him, however, with a letter in his hand, a letter from Paul himself telling something of the story and asking for a kind of mercy on Onesimus. And that letter is the book of Philemon that we have in the New Testament. You do need to know that Onesimus himself is the carrier of the letter. We know that from the book of Colossians. Apparently Paul writes Colossians and Philemon at about the same time. And we know that Philemon lived near Colossus. So Onesimus carries this letter back himself in person, hands it to Philemon. And these are the words that Philemon would read. Only 25 verses. Let's read together. It's a lesson, my friends, about forgiveness and the rather wonderful things that can happen when someone forgives. From Philemon, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That's why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love... I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past. And notice right there, Paul is playing on the name of Onesimus. The name means useful. And Paul says, I know in the past he hasn't been very useful to you, but now he's very useful to both of us. 
I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because of you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. I think he just did. I think he mentioned. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Gary went back to Indiana for his 20th high school reunion. It was a great thing. If you've ever been a part of one of those things, it's always better than you expect it's going to be. Gary went, and it really was a lively night of reliving kind of the glory days, hooking up with people you haven't seen in years and years and years, and that's what everybody was doing, all those uh, old folks after 20 years uh, from being out of high school. Uh, Gary was sitting at a table with a woman named Debbie, who, of course, he'd gone to high school with and had known her for years, and all of a sudden, at the platform, someone stepped up to, to share some memory, and it was a woman named Karen. It was Karen. And Karen was also a woman that they graduated with. They'd all known for years. But the moment that Karen stepped to the microphone, Gary noticed that Debbie changed. All of a sudden, Debbie got very, very quiet and very teary-eyed. And Gary could tell that something was really bothering, bothering Debbie. So finally he leaned over and said, Debbie, is something wrong? She said, no, not really, it's nothing. But, but tears began to come down her face. And Gary said, I, I, I can tell something's wrong, Debbie. What's bothering you? Debbie said, it just seems so silly. I, I just can't believe that I'm feeling this way. But the moment I saw Karen step up there, something in my heart just broke open. Now, now Gary's a Christian man, and he recognized right there that there's something spiritual happening. So he began to talk to Debbie. He said, Debbie, tell me what it is. What is it that's on your heart? What's bothering you this way? She said, it's been 30 years. I can't even believe I still care about it. I can't believe I still think about it. But when Karen and I were in second grade, she was my best friend. And then she turned on me. And in second grade, Karen started a club that she called the Debbie Haters Club. The Debbie Haters Club. And it was devastating to me. I was seven years old. And Karen started the Debbie Haters Club. And it has broken my heart for years. And when I saw her tonight, it all comes back. Well, see, Gary knew Karen. He knew Karen very well. And he knew that Karen was a Christian woman. I don't know what she was in second grade. But 30 years later, she's a godly Christian woman. 
And Gary said, Debbie, you've got to talk to Karen. You need to resolve this tonight. You need to put this away forever. And Debbie said, no, I can't do that. I would never do that. I don't even want to bring it up. I feel silly bringing it up. Gary said, no, Debbie, you've got to do this. You need to do this. And Debbie said, I don't know. There's just no way I could approach her. So this is what Gary did. He saw at the end of the night, Karen stepped into the coat room to get her coat. He walked in and said, Karen, you stand right here. And then he went out and he got Debbie. And he brought Debbie and he put her in the coat room and closed the door. Stepped out. And he waited. Pretty wise man when you think about it. For one thing, I would not want to be in that coat room either. I, I, I don't think... But the other thing is he doesn't belong in in that coat room. This is something between Karen and Debbie. And they needed to work that out. And the truth is they did. They did. But Gary was that man in the middle. And sometimes you end up in the middle between two people in a squabble like that. And this is exactly the situation of Paul as we read the book of Philemon. Paul is that man in the middle. This really is not a concern of his. This is really between Philemon and Onesimus. It's something that these two Christian brothers need to work out. Paul is very, very wise here because he doesn't really put himself in the middle of it. He does send a letter with Onesimus, and that's a wise thing to do. But at the very same time, he just sends Onesimus face-to-face to confront Philemon. It's between these two men. I bring this up because I want you to see how this happens in Scripture. This is exactly Jesus' way, Jesus' model that he describes in Matthew chapter 18. This is how you do it. When there is a conflict between two people, those two people need to get together privately and settle it. That's Jesus' way. Unfortunately, I have found out in 13, nearly 14 years of ministry, this is not the way most people do it. This is not how most of you do it. And I love you, but you're wrong here. And whenever I don't follow this, I'm wrong as well. This is how you settle conflict. Jesus says when when there's something between you and a brother or a sister, you go to them in private. Is there anything unclear about those instructions? You go to that person Privately, personally. And this is what Paul orchestrates. This is what Paul sets up with Onesimus and Philemon. Paul could have just written a letter, you know, or he could have had Philemon write a letter. But that is not what happens. Paul puts the two men together face to face. That's what's supposed to happen. When there's a conflict, you settle it personally. You settle it privately. In Scripture, the circle of offense is the circle of reconciliation. In other words, you don't involve any more people than are already involved. If it's just between you and me, then it stays between you and me. We reconcile it together face to face. There's not a plan B. There's not an exception for you because you don't like face-to-face confrontation. There's no other way. This is how you do it. Face-to-face reconciliation. It's what Jesus instructs. It's the only way that we can ever resolve the differences between us. This is how you do it. It's got to be face to face. Now, I'm talking to a lot of teenagers in the house today, and I know that you have forgotten what faces look like. You stare at a cell phone now 24 hours a day texting away. 
You share everything. You handle everything by texting. I'm telling you, you're going to mess up in your life if you try to text important things. And I'm not just talking to teenagers, am I? I got a room full of adults who now try to email important things. I know of several occasions when spouses divorced by email. Divorced by email. By the way, honey, I'm planning to divorce you. Email. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. You do not handle these things by text, by email. You handle them face to face. If you have a problem, put the phone down. Step away from the computer. It is time to see the person face to face. This is Jesus' way of handling differences. You have to meet face to face. And then somebody has to forgive. Somebody has to forgive. Forgiveness is a beautiful idea for most of us until we actually have to do it. But somehow in our lives, forgiveness is something that we think we can escape. We think that somehow we are the exception. When somebody hurts us, we're different all of a sudden, and we can just stay mad. And some of us love to be mad. We just love to be mad, obviously, because we choose to be mad all the time. Some people are mad all the time. Some people always have a grudge. Some people always have something between them and and other people. And if you're that person, you really need to look at your heart. Why would you choose to live this way? Forgiveness is the way to freedom. Forgiveness is the way that we as Christians live. It's the only way we can live and stay together. Forgiveness. It's the only way to live and stay together in marriage. You've got to forgive. It blows me away that so many couples would rather divorce than forgive. And it's that simple. Don't you understand what I'm saying? It's that simple. You can divorce or you can forgive. But there are couples who would rather just divorce. There are people who'd rather sue you than forgive you. I don't understand it. And even in the church, some of you would rather walk away and just never talk to somebody again rather than sit down face to face and forgive. Put yourself in Philemon's situation. Philemon is a man with all kinds of legal rights toward this man, Onesimus. We don't know how Onesimus wound up Philemon's slave, but he was. And it's not just that Onesimus ran away as a slave, he stole from him. And the fact that he had access to Philemon's valuables means he was probably a trusted servant in the house. He probably trusted him. And so Philemon is very likely to have a lot of anger toward this man, Onesimus, toward his slave. And it is true that in that day, Philemon could have done anything he wanted to do to Onesimus. By his own rights, he could brand him, physically burn into his skin a brand that brands him as a runaway and a thief. Roman law allowed him to do that. Roman law even allowed that Philemon could have Onesimus put to death. He could have Onesimus crucified if he chose to. He could. So there's actually a great deal of danger involved in Onesimus going back face to face with Philemon. A great deal of risk. And there always is risk. Don't you understand? 
when you're in conflict with someone, when there's something between you and the other person, of course it's hard to go face them. Of course it's hard. If it were easy, everybody would do it. But aren't we grown-ups? Aren't we believers? Can't we do what Jesus says do? It's amazing that Paul sends Onesimus back home. I don't know if I would do that. I don't know if I could do that, but Paul does. Paul has this tremendous kind of confidence in God's people. Paul has this tremendous kind of confidence in Philemon. He says, I've heard about your faith. I know your generosity. I know how you go out of your way to be a blessing to God's people. Now, Philemon, here's your opportunity. I know your heart. I know what's in your heart. Now let's see how your heart opens up toward Onesimus. Somebody's got to forgive. How does that even start? How does it even start? Well, you notice what Paul says. He says, if you consider me your partner, verse 17, welcome him. If you consider me your partner, welcome him. As if he were me. Accept him. That's the first step, brothers and sisters. That's where it begins. You've got to, number one, accept the person. Accept the person. When someone hurts us deeply, when someone offends us, very quickly we stop thinking of them as a person. We only start thinking of them as for what they've done to us. We associate them with all of our pain. We associate them and we begin to project all sorts of things onto that person. And we develop this sort of habit of hate. And some of you right now are prisoners to a kind of habit of hate in regards to some other person. Maybe that person you think deserves your hatred. Maybe that person offended you greatly and and wounded you deeply. But I'm saying to you, if forgiveness is ever going to happen, it's got to start with your simply being willing to accept the person. Remember that they are a person. You've got to open your heart. That's tough. I I know it's tough. I've been here. I've experienced this. It's the only way, however. You've got to be willing to open your heart back up. Yes, it's messy. Sometimes you have to accept the person and you've still got some anger left over. Okay. Uh, Okay. If that's how it is, that's how it is. But you can make the step. You can begin the process of forgiveness. And it's always messy. You're always going to have a little bit of hurt left over. Always a little bit of anger left over. But you're going to have to begin accepting that person again. It's a person. Paul says, I I know that that when you used to know Onesimus as you did, you probably thought he was kind of useless to you. But now welcome him as if you were welcoming me. He's not coming back as your slave. He's coming back as your, say the word with me, brother. Whatever you used to think about him, you need to learn to think about him in a new way. He is your brother. He's your brother. This person that you're angry at, don't you understand? If it's a Christian brother or sister, that ought to make a difference to you. It's a brother. Open your heart. It's your sister. Open your heart. Accept this person. Yes, you'll have some anger left over. Yes, you've still got some pain. But bring that along with you if you have to. But start opening your heart back up. 
A closed heart is a devastating kind of thing to have to live inside. And if you close your heart, you have to live inside it. Don't you understand that? You may think that you're protecting yourself. You may think you're punishing everybody, but all you're doing is putting yourself into a prison that is going to rob your life of every moment of joy. Horrible to live inside a prison. And when you close your heart, that's exactly what you do. You put yourself behind bars. You do that to yourself. And you just begin this habit of hatred. Every time you see that person, you just can't stop. It it escalates. They may have hurt you once, but now everything they do, you read it through your hatred. You read it through the grudge that you're holding. And this person gets where they can't do anything right for you. There's nothing they can do that won't offend you more. Have you ever got into that place in your life where everything that other person does only makes your hatred grow? If they say good morning to you, somehow that won't sit right with you. It's a habit of hatred that you have to be willing to break. Paul knows the risk involved. Paul knows exactly the situation that he's setting up. But he says, Philemon, when you see Onesimus, accept him. Welcome him as if you were welcoming me. Step number one, accept the person. Number two, forgive the offense. Paul says if there's anything he's done against you, if there's anything he owes you, just charge it to me. Lay it on me. That is such a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. Don't you see that? Beautiful picture of of how Jesus forgives us. He says whatever sin was going to be laid upon you, God just laid upon me. He paid the price. And that's what Paul does. But the point is Philemon is going to have to forgive. He's going to have to, one way or the other, get on the other side of the offense. And that's difficult. It's always, always difficult. For one thing, for a lot of us, we tend to blow offenses way out of proportion. The other day I was in the parking lot after church and and talking to one of our, our church families. And this little bitty boy belonging to the mom and dad, this little boy was running. And he tripped and fell and just, his face skidded across the pavement. I just went, the dad, first thing he said was, you're not hurt. The boy hopped up. Sure enough, he wasn't hurt. He looked like he wanted to be hurt. But the dad said, you're not hurt. Go on and play. The boy ran off to play. Is that a good dad? Yeah, yeah. Very important to teach your children when they're hurt and when they're not hurt. Now, my wife is a nurse. That makes her an amazing kind of mother. Our son has never been able to fake anything. See, my mama was different. My mama knew nothing about medicine. So if I get up in the morning and don't feel like going to school, I could go, oh, mama, oh, my spleen's hurting. It's my spleen. Uh, I, think I, I think I have ruptured my spleen. My mom go, oh, baby, lay on the couch. Get on the couch. Can I make you some potato soup? Yeah, that would be so good, potato soup. Do you think my wife, the nurse, would fall for a ruptured spleen? If Wade comes and says, mom, I'm hurt, she says, are you bleeding? Are there bones sticking out? Get on outside and play. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, some of you are all grown up. But you don't seem to be able to know when you've been hurt or not. And honestly, some of you, you've not been hurt. You hold a grudge, I understand. And you get your feelings hurt very, very easily. And you stay swelled up and mad at somebody nearly all the time. But maybe you're not hurt. 
maybe you should start right there. Before you start this whole big business of forgiving, maybe you should stop and ask yourself, am I really hurt? Honestly, what are you mad about? I mean, somebody comes in and sits in your pew at church. Are you really mad about that? My goodness, you're not hurt. Are you bleeding? Are their bones sticking out? Sit in another pew. Do you understand how these things work? Somebody at work uh, uses your copier account because they ran out of numbers in theirs and they made five copies. Are you hurt? Are their bones sticking out? Get on with it. Well, my goodness, you, you may not even be hurt. So before you go through all of this spiritual business of forgiving, maybe you just need to look at your heart and ask, am I really offended? Is this really something I should be carrying against this person? I, I promise you, a lot of what we carry against other people really ought to just be let go right here. We ought to just lay it down right here. We're not hurt. Nobody has hurt you. Nobody intended to hurt you. Whatever it is, just give it up right now. It's probably not all that. You may have made it more than it is, and if that's a possibility, I don't know. Nobody can know but you. But just consider the possibility that maybe you're not hurt. Maybe you're not. Okay, but maybe you are. Maybe you are. Philemon was. He had cause to be offended, cause to be angry. What does Paul say? Paul says, whatever he owes you, just put it on my account. I mean, after all, you do kind of owe me your life, I'm just saying. Very subtle reminder, isn't it? That, By the way, Philemon... You've experienced a lot of grace in your life. You've received things you didn't deserve. You kind of owe me your life, I'm just saying. It's actually very important sometimes to remind yourself that you have received a lot of grace in your life. Just think, if, if everybody else had held everything against you the way you hold things against other people, can you imagine how your life would be? Other people forgive you all the time. I promise you, if you don't believe us, just ask us. We're forgiving you all the time. It, it, it's life. It's how we live together. You are the recipient of, of, of a lot of grace. We forget that, don't we, when somebody offends us. It's the first thing we forget. We feel so deliciously self-righteous in our anger. How dare they do that to me? How dare she talk to me that way? How dare he walk away from me like that? How dare them? We start feeling as if we are all good and they are all bad. And that's a wonderful kind of feeling, only it's absolutely not true. That person that has offended you, that person you're so angry at, I promise you, they're probably not all bad. Any more than you are all good. I mean, look at this situation. Onesimus is going back in a way to apologize to his owner, Am I reading that right? Apologizing to a man who's keeping him as a slave? Honestly, you can read this story and you start, it starts undoing itself and you start thinking, wait a minute, who's the real victim here? What did Onesimus take? So some silverware? My goodness, Philemon claims to own this man. Who's the victim here? You start looking at this and you recognize very, very quickly that there's kind of enough blame to go around here. Philemon may be a very good Christian man, but he is not all good. He may have a lot of good qualities, but this slave-owning thing has certainly got him stuck. He is not all innocent here, not all good. And Onesimus is not all bad. That's what Paul is saying. That's what you have to recognize, I promise you. It helps you forgive. 
It helps you show other people grace when you remember, hold it just a minute. I have received a lot of grace in my life. I've received a lot of forgiveness. I don't deserve the goodness that others have shown me. I don't deserve the grace God has shown me. When you realize the grace you walk in, when you realize the amount of forgiveness that has been flowing your way, then it's a little bit easier to let some forgiveness flow the other direction. Forgive. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. Paul says, I could command this, but that would be stupid. And it would. You ever had a fight with your brother or sister and your mom said, okay, stop it right there. Now kiss and make up. How'd that go? How does that work? When somebody says, okay, stop fighting. Just get along. That's what your daddy used to say. Just get along. How does that work? You may act like you're getting along, but in your heart, the hatred continues to simmer. Forgiveness has to happen, and it has to be chosen. It's a gift that you choose to give one another, but it has to be given freely. You can't force this. You've just got to forgive. Forgive the offense. Number three, this is so hard. This is so Christian, actually. Number three, I'll say it in a very Christian way. After you've forgiven, won't you just go on and bestow a blessing? That, that sounds very churchy, doesn't it? Bestow a blessing. I love how Paul says, but doesn't really say what he expects Philemon to do. He just sort of mentions that, you know, when I met Onesimus, I, I led him to the Lord, and actually he became a very important part of my team. Onesimus seems to have been working as a co-worker on the team with Paul, on his ministry team. And Paul had a lot of partners in ministry. And Paul has gotten used to relying on Onesimus as a partner in ministry. And Paul said, you know, what I'd really like to have done is just keep him. I'd like to keep him here. And then when you think about it, that would be kind of like a gift you've given me. It would be like he could serve uh, in your behalf. But, But he never asks for that, does he? He never says, what I want you to do, Philemon, is forgive him. Set the man free. Let him come back and work with me. I need him in the ministry. He never asks for that, does he? But he kind of does. I mean, Paul is just slick. He's amazing. He says, this man's very, very useful to me. Welcome him as if you're welcoming my own heart. Forgive him. And then I know Philemon... You're going to go one step further. You're probably going to do even more than I ask. What would be the more than he would ask? Set him free. Set this slave free. Set him free. Send him back to me. Let him work with me. Man, does Onesimus deserve that? Well, no. Of course not. He doesn't deserve that. None of us deserve forgiveness. None of us deserve grace. But God always forgives us and then blesses us, bestows blessings that we never deserve, that we could never possibly earn. It's amazing how God does that. And when you have the Spirit of God in your heart, that's how you'll be. It's not just begrudgingly forgiving the person. It's going a step further It's bestowing a blessing. It's restoring the joy of friendship. It's simply saying, as long as we live, I'll never bring this up again. You and I will go on, and you will be forgiven, and I will not hold this over you. It's bestowing the blessing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's how Christians act. Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb, knew something about this. 
You know, Thomas Edison invented light bulbs. You couldn't just go down to Target and buy them in, in little cardboard boxes. Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, and he and his whole crew would work hundreds of hours to make one. Make one. He finally mastered the, the light bulb, and they were making their very first light bulbs, and it would take them hundreds of hours. And Edison was putting the final touches on, on one of the very few light bulbs that existed in the world. They had been working on it for days and days and days. He finished it. He turned around and handed it to a young assistant, just a young teenage doofus, handed it to him and said, would you please carry this light bulb upstairs to the lab? What do you think happened? Yeah, the kid takes off and one of the first light bulbs shatters, shatters. What did Edison do? He got everybody back to work on another light bulb. Everybody worked on another light bulb. They worked days and days and days. Edison put the final touches on it. And when he was finished, who did he look for? The same teenage doofus assistant and he said son come here would you please take this bulb upstairs and take it to the lab what was he doing showing him trust you may have messed up once but I'm going to trust you I trust you you're important to me you're an important member of this team I'm going to give you another chance Brothers and sisters, when forgiveness is real, there's not just the desire to forgive and forget and walk away. There's a kind of blessing that gets exchanged. There's a a tremendous way that you stop hating the person and you really start wishing for good things to happen to them. And you might even start working to see that good things do happen. It's called forgiveness. It's how Christians act. That's why Paul can send Onesimus home. Knowing that Philemon, a good Christian man, is going to do more than Paul would even ask. Apparently he does. We don't have anything else in the book of Philemon. It ends right there. That's where the letter ended. But in church history, we find out that Onesimus did get set free. Philemon set him free. Onesimus did get to go back and work with Paul, and he did. Paul trained Onesimus. Onesimus, who used to be a slave, became the leader at the church in Ephesus after Timothy. Onesimus became an important church leader who eventually died as a martyr under the Roman emperor. He was stoned to death for his faith. Wow. It's amazing how stories turn out. You you don't always see them taking the turns that they take. You don't always understand how things are going to happen, how things will turn out. But I want you to understand something. If you continue your habit of hatred toward that person, if you continue this life where you don't forgive anybody for anything, or if you continue this life of closing your heart to people and living inside this prison, don't you understand? You're making yourself the, the prisoner. One person has said that to forgive is to set the prisoner free only to realize that the prisoner was you. Jesus says if there's an offense between you and another, you go privately to that person. You go to them. You reconcile. 
when you've reconciled, you gained a brother. You gained a sister. It's amazing how things turn out when someone forgives. When someone forgives. Pray with me. Oh, great and forgiving God, we thank you. God, if you were keeping a record of sins, none of us in this place would have any room to stand. God, if you were keeping a record of my sins, I would already be consumed. But God, you're a God of grace and forgiveness, willing to forgive and put our sins as far away from us as east is from the west. That's what you promised. God, that kind of forgiveness seems natural for you. It seems to be something you do very well. But God, we confess that forgiveness is not something that we do very well. We struggle, Lord. It's just not in us to accept the person. It's just not in us to forgive the offense. It's just not in us to bestow a blessing. It's not in us, God. But we know that it is in you. So God, anytime forgiveness happens, it's going to be something of a miracle, something that you allow to happen by your power, by your grace. So God, we're praying for those miracles today. I pray, Lord, that individuals within the sound of my voice will begin to open the prison doors of their heart and open their hearts once more to the people that have hurt them, to the people that have offended them. Oh God, let us open the doors of our heart and live a life of forgiveness and blessing. This life of holding grudges and hatred, Lord, it is destroying us. Thank you for men like Paul, for men like Philemon, for men like Onesimus. We ask you, Lord, help us to be people like that. People who are willing to forgive And forgive and forgive. Help us, Lord, to forgive even as we have been forgiven and forgiven and forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.